I am not the candy man in shul. Not because I don't love kids, or candy for that matter, but it just never became my thing. Some people love to be able to give out the candy. It's not It's not one of the things that I do. However, the candy man in my shul over the summer, he sits two rows in front of me, and I have the unique vantage point of watching him and his technique. Actually, he doesn't have much of a technique. He doesn't really do that much. He doesn't give out zazas or chocolate buttons or even make the children say thank you when he hands it to them. He doesn't talk to them. He doesn't even see them at all. What he does is he brings a huge bag full of different flavored lollies, he opens up the bag and he puts it down at the far end of his table and the kids come by and take their own lollipops. Lots and lots of kids show up. Typically, I would estimate, I mean, I was sitting right there, I could see, I would estimate in the range of 30 to 40 kids every single Shabbos and usually Shabbos morning, he needs to refill the bag, which of course he does graciously and efficiently. It all sounds wonderful and innocent and beautiful, but from my seat, I get to see the underbelly of the whole operation. I can't help but watch how the children interact and take their loot. Most of the kids are really small, six or younger, and even like the two and three-year-olds are always accompanied by their older sibling, their five-year-old sister or brother. Some kids shyly walk over and they're looking to see who is this rich Tati who owns all this candy and why is this silly man allowing people to take away his treasure? They open up the bag, they find the color that they like, and they walk away happy. Some kids take an extra lolly or two for their unfortunate siblings who were never to make it to the candy bag. A few come in groups and they start divvying up the lollies that they will surely need to satisfy the rest of the pack. They'll take eight or ten among four or five kids. Okay. Then there's the kids who take this, 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 the kids, they come, they take three, then they walk away, they come back a couple minutes later, take another three, and then they watch to see when it gets busy at the bag, and then they can grab an extra few. And then there's the king, the undisputed lolly leader, who proudly struts over, reaches into the candy bag, and pulls out every last lolly he can fit into his sweaty palms. Lollies are spilling out all over the place, on the floor, on the table, but the king is not concerned. He is determined to get every last lollipop. I think one week, he managed to squeeze about 18 lollies into both hands, and the look of triumph on his face reminded me of this medieval warlord who just conquered his implacable foe and now stands defiantly over his decimated enemy's tomb. The look on this boy's father's face, however, was quite different. I don't believe I ever saw a human cheek turn that bright of a color red in my life. My heart went out to him as he forced his unwilling son to walk back to the candy bag and put back at least half of the booty. The kid was furious, but his father was so embarrassed. Nebuch, I felt so bad for the father. Even the child wasn't going to argue with the father the way he looked. I give the young father credit. At least he tried to teach his child right from wrong, albeit too little, too late. Some people will never learn or never teach. Chinuch, as our greatest leaders have always told us, is not something that you start teaching when the child begins to understand it. No, it must start way before that. Who hasn't heard the story of the young couple who were in their ninth month about to give birth, and they came to the rabbi and they said, Rabbi, give us a bl- give us a bracha. Rabbi, advice. When does the mitzvah of Chinuch begin? And the rabbi looked at him and said, nine months ago. 
If the time a baby spends in the womb serves no purpose, why would Hashem have made such a lengthy gestation period? There is surely a spiritual indoctrination for a baby during these nine months. Of course, we know the story of Yaakov and Esav in the, in the womb. That's an example of the fetus learning curve. The Malach who teaches Torah and subsequently touches the baby on his lips so he forgets is also... When it comes to instilling Torah values in our children, it doesn't just happen when they're in the classroom learning Aleph Beis. It happens every minute of every hour of every day. That's Chinuch. Every moment is a teaching moment. From the Moida'ani that we whisper to our babies as they wake up in the morning until the Shema that we sing as we rack them gently to sleep. Some of these lessons will be conscious, but most will be the consequence of a natural tendency to watch and emulate the conduct of their parents. Our children watch our every move. They learn from our every move. Whether it's a bracha that we make before eating or a hastily uttered baruch Hashem when good tidings are told, they are absorbing this. If children behave a certain way, it is usually a product of what they have seen or heard from their parents and their friends as well. How careful must we be for like a Kaddish Baruch himself, our children are always watching. Unless you think that this only pertains to children, <laughs> you would be quite wrong. Not to belabor the point, but even now, a few short weeks before Rosh Hashanah, there are some people who haven't finished grabbing, hopping every last vestige of summer in their grubby hands. I'll give you a mushal. The mushal is like Hashem is somewhat like the candy man. He opens up the bag and he wants us to partake of all the good that he has to offer. But we must recognize our limitations. We can't act like chazer. We can't just chop everything. Remember, the Yemadin is coming and Hashem is watching.